This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. I am your host, Tyler Burns, and we also have Jamar Tisby on the line. Hey, Jamar. I never know what to say. I want to sound cool, but I always sound not cool. But You know, hi. I almost called you Dr. Jamar Tisby, and I know. Is that is that a little bit uh, it, premature? It's a little or? premature, maybe four or five years premature. <laughs> I feel I feel like you're a doctor with an A, not an OR, but but the <laughs> doctor. doctor. <laughs> well, we do have a real doctor with us today. <laughs> exactly right. We also have on the line Dr. Vincent Baycoat, and we've had him on the show before to talk about his book, The Political Disciple, which is amazing. And if you haven't heard that, go look that podcast up. Dr. Baycoat, how are you? Uh, good. You know this uh, this talk about doctors and how long things take. Uh, you know these these. Uh, Long roads are uh, they're, they're journeys to remember. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Jamar, why don't you get into what we're going to talk about today? I'm very intrigued by uh, this conversation today, and I'm very grateful to you, Dr. Baycoat, for um, agreeing to be on the show and, and actually wanting to talk about this. You're a professor at Wheaton College, and Wheaton has been in the news as of late uh, for a controversy surrounding a professor, Larisha Hawkins. On December 10th, 2015, she posted uh, some words on Facebook, and it said, I'll just quote her, she said, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims because they, like me, are, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. And then she went on to say, as part of her Advent worship, I will wear the hijab to work at Wheaton College to play in Chi-Town in the airport and on the airplane to my home state that initiated one of the first anti-Sharia laws. Uh, so basically, she said she's going to wear the hijab in, in solidarity with Muslims. And mm. the controversial statement was that Muslims, like me, a Christian, are people of the book. And as Pope Francis stated last week, we worship the same God. So I'm very intrigued, Dr. Baco, from your perspective as a professor at Wheaton, seeing all of this controversy go down because Christians are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't worship the same God. But at the same time, there's other dynamics at play that Dr. Hawkins is the first female African-American tenured professor mm-hmm. at Wheaton uh, that that this controversy over the same God is a very long one in Christian tradition. So can you just parse through, like, give us an overview, parse through some of the issues, and then we'll dive deeper into some some of your reflections on it. Right. So to begin with, I think what is mostly lost in all the conversation is that what she was trying to do, uh, because she actually has Muslims who are friends, Muslims aren't actually, you know, unreal people to her. Uh, so she has mm-hmm. friends. Uh, and uh, she was trying to do what she calls embodied solidarity. It's not a new thing for people to talk about wearing a hijab to identify with Muslim women. It's not a new idea. It actually happened because a student came to her and asked her what she thought about it. 
And then in thinking about it herself, she decided to do it as well. And so she made a Facebook post. And her point about having solidarity was that uh, particularly after San Bernardino, there were Muslims who were being physically attacked, people uh, either defacing mosques or vandalizing mosques in other ways. Uh, and of course, even people who weren't Muslims, like Sikhs, for example, getting um, harassed. So she wanted to bring attention to that by doing this embodied solidarity uh, practice. So in, in some ways, it's, it's trying to enter into the suffering of others uh, and to show that you care about the suffering of others. In her explanation for why she was doing that, she included those phrases about Christians and Muslims worshiping the same God, drawing on what Pope Francis had said. Uh, and then uh, she also said uh, the phrase about people of the book, which is a phrase that the Quran uses to talk about Jews and Christians uh which I, which I think that part is also lost on a lot of people. Um, so she writes a Facebook post. Um, Christian Post picks it up. It goes viral. A siege happens on her Facebook page, basically. A siege also happens uh, at the administration at Whedon College in terms of people calling. Um, she writes a... Uh, or she does an interview with the Christian Post clarifying, uh, reminding people that, yes, she is a Christian and not a Muslim because there are people who seem to think that she was saying she was, which is not what she was saying. Um, and so the school issues statements about uh, the, you know, that we don't actually have any official statements about relationship between Christians and Muslims, but trying to get some articulation about that and about how uh faculty who holds the statement of faith uh, about having some conversation with faculty about that. The day following that, there is another announcement that she's put in administrative leave because of ongoing questions about this. She's asked to write a statement. She writes a statement. She turns that into the provost. Two days later, um, that statement, which I have seen, uh, fits our statement of faith uh, for reasons that are not clear uh, or are there is uh, the desire for more conversation. It's not clear what more conversation is about. And uh, an impasse is reached. It's unclear, uh, certainly looking at it from this vantage point now, it's, it's unclear how that impasse is understood from both sides because she says she didn't stop talking. They say she didn't want to keep talking. So um, there's a, I think there's there was an agreement on what exactly that meant. Um, there's also a backstory to mention of this, which is that she had been asked three times before uh, because of other things about whether she held the statement of faith. So this is the fourth time that she's being asked this. So what that tells us is that there's already something going on. There's already uh, an issue between her and the administration, I would say. Um, and these things weren't in succession. I mean, this is over, over the space of five or six years. But the fact that this had happened, um, I think, made it more difficult for constructive conversation to occur. And then eventually what initially happens is a couple at the end of December, I think it is, uh, the, the, the provost files this uh, intent to seek termination with the, where, you, where you go this whole process. That winds up not happening because uh, just over a week ago, oh, about a week and a half ago, he withdraws that. 
uh, as an apology to her and to the faculty because there's a lot of faculty concerned about the process that took place with this. And uh, then he hands over to the president the resolution of this. And then the resolution is that both Dr. Hawkins and Dr. Riken decide that the best uh, thing to do is to move forward. Uh, it's certainly controversial with some that the word reconciliation was used in that statement, but um, hmm. but it was used. Uh, so uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> um, and they so there was a worship service uh, on campus uh, a week ago last night. Uh, I wasn't able to go to that. My kids had an event, but um, and there was communion and they both spoke. Uh, um, it was definitely a sad night from my, what I understand. And then the next day they held a press conference at the same place where she held press conferences the week after she was put in administrative leave. So, um, so that kind of, you know, that's somewhat of a flyover view. Right. There's a whole bunch of things that are unsaid, but yeah. Wow. This sounds like hmm. uh, a nightmare of things lost in translation. And yes, it, 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 it sort of begins with the Facebook post. You mentioned that immediately after that, she came under siege. And I, I'm assuming you mean that it was other Christians who were criticizing her comments about Muslims and Christians worshiping the same God. Is that correct? And, and then how would well, you address well, well, that? Here, here let, let's be clear about this. Uh, the siege was probably Christians and non Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she, experienced the uh, definitely had an, an Islamophobic experience herself because um, you know, I mean, there were people who threatened her life, people who threatened to rape her. Oh, um, oh my goodness. You know, there was a lot of craziness and <laughs> there are still people who think she's a Muslim. I mean, someone asked my wife, um, so do you think she became a Muslim? Now, these are obviously people who weren't exactly reading what she said. But somehow people think that that's the case. Um, and, and of course, also in terms of the way that it went in the, it happened in the media, it didn't really become a gigantic media story until after she was put in administrative leave. That's when the news trucks showed up on mm. campus. And that's when, um, you know, it, it wound up becoming an international story, basically. Mm -hmm. So mm. what that, because what that did was that raised questions about academic freedom, questions about tenure, because she's, you know, a tenured professor and, um, and, and certainly raised questions about her being a black female political science professor at an evangelical institution of which you can probably count on your, on one hand, the number of right. those. Right. So, um, I mean, there aren't a whole lot, probably political science to begin with as a discipline, but so all, all those factors play in. And, and I think I should say something about why I think about the, uh, institution itself, the institution I, itself did not act out of uh, anything that I, from my point of view, related to race or related to uh, gender. And in fact, the provost who, uh, you know, what was sort of a featured player in this, the provost has, and Larisha has said this herself in a higher journal, journal of higher education article. I mean, he has, worked very hard to try to uh, facilitate a, a more diverse faculty here at Wheaton College. So you have to understand that that's not part of the issue, at least in terms of how the process is working out. Uh, it's hard to avoid that in terms of the optics. Right. Uh, and I do think 
that in terms of the larger public response, what is unclear, but I think is plausible to say, is that there are probably some people who see this Christian professor at an evangelical Christian college wearing a hijab and talking about solidarity and the side of it is something that um, doesn't resonate with at least, uh, I would say, latent forms of bias that they have. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, where they probably think, you know, why, why can't she just, you know, you know, play nice with others or, or et cetera. I mean, you know, have I seen anything where somebody has said, you know, that black woman professor, you know, blah, 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 blah. No, I have not. Um, it's just the way that uh, the, you know, it's just the way white supremacy works, right? Mm. So well, is that there are ways that it probably is op- operative in the ways that some people responded where the side of this African-American woman doing it um, didn't really play well for them. Right. You you also mentioned, I think, Dr. Baycote, some of the some of the misconceptions of what's going on, both from the responses to the college itself and to yeah. Professor Hawkins. Yeah. What are what are some of the biggest misconceptions? Um, you referenced one sure. that, you know, she she became a Muslim. Yeah, uh, that's so ridiculous. What, <laughs> right. What what would be some other misconceptions that are prevailing and that you've seen on sure. Facebook or social sure. media? Well, I think uh, one is that she's a heretic. How about that one? Hmm. Uh, I think that that's one because, uh, as was noted in the introduction, the question about whether Christians, Jews, and Muslims worship the same God is not a new conversation. Hmm. It's certainly a conversation that uh, goes on in missiology. It's more of a question the more attention that there's been paid to the growth of Islam around the world. Uh, and when people talk about Christian Jews and Muslims being the three great monotheistic religions, three monotheistic religions that all see themselves as heirs of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So I think people who uh, and, and many people seized upon the, uh, the incident to talk about why, of course, Christians and Muslims don't worship the same God. And I think. Uh, a lot of people answered that question in ways that seemed to me to be um, not to not do justice to the fact that there are people uh, who believe the Bible is completely true, who are deeply committed to God, Jesus, <laughs> the Spirit, and, and committed to the church. People who uh, will disagree about how you answer that question, and that one of the main reasons that they'll answer that question differently is that everybody doesn't use the same methodology to answer that question. Hmm. Um, because it, the first question you ask will make a whole lot of difference. If, if your first question is about, uh, does the content of revelation lead you to say that there's any sense in which you would say Christians, Jews and Muslims worship the same God between Christians and Jews, you would say, well, there's overlap, but obviously certain major differences uh, because Christians are Trinitarian, Jews are not, but they are. But but you know, Christians split off from Jews, so to speak, uh, or branch off from that, uh, and branch off fulfilled depending upon your theology. We can talk about that later. But uh, but uh, the point is is that Christians being Trinitarian, Jews being not Trinitarian, that's a big difference. Uh, mm-hmm. There's overlap, but definite difference because 
the the content of Revelation is not identical. There's more Revelation, fuller Revelation than Christians had. When it comes to Muslims, um, the there's less common Revelation, even though there's reference to Jesus in the Quran and things like that. The similarity would go back, you know, not not put way there would there would be far little similarity, far less mm-hmm. similarity if you're just talking about well, if you, what the Quran says about who God is, what the Bible says about who God is. Um, for the most part, there's not going to be a lot that's shared. So if you're only thinking in terms of Revelation, the answer is going to be no. If you think from a narrative historical point of view, uh, then you'll get to a yes and no kind of answer, or you can by asking a question like, do Christians, Jews, and Muslims see themselves as heirs of Abraham? Yes, is the answer. Mm -hmm. Do Christians, Jews, and Muslims see themselves as worshiping the God Abraham worshiped? I think the answer to that one's yes too. So that's a what I call a thin yes, because it's not getting to okay. Then how do they talk about this God? The more we get to that part of it, then you'll get the greater distinctions between Christians, Jews, and Muslims. But that's one way that you get at a yes or no answer. Another way that you get at a yes or no answer is by saying asking a question like this: Say, well, uh, do we believe that there's really only one God? Right, which we do because mm-hmm. we're not polytheists, we're monotheists. Um, and is it possible that there are people who are oriented toward this God, they're worshiping this God, but that their worship can be partially correct or minimally correct or maybe even completely incorrect, but they still see themselves as oriented toward this one true God? And uh, in this case, then, we might say, for example, that Christians, uh, they have a clear view of the one true God, um, and that when it comes to Jews and Muslims, that it's at least, at the least, less complete, uh, and, the, and it's not just less complete, but that there are different claims that are getting made about this God. Right. And is it possible, to, and is it possible then, uh, to say that Three different traditions can talk about the same person, but they talk differently about that same person, and it's still the same person. And there are people who say the answer to that is yes. So in no case, and I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions, in no case, in terms of what Larisha said, uh, in terms of what other people that she's referred to, like Mirsal Wolf and Timothy George, uh, in no case does anyone by same mean completely identical. And right. I think a lot of people think that same means uh, a, a simple but kind of complete equivalence. So, I mean, she said in interviews, she said in her uh, the, the follow-up interview in the Christian Post and uh, television interviews, etc., she, she has made clear that she's a Christian, not a Muslim. She, it would be an insult to Muslims to say that they believe exactly the same things about who God is and how you describe God. Uh, so, she, so she gives a yes and no answer. I think a lot of people think, no, when she says same God, she means identical. Uh, mm-hmm. Identical as in, like, identical in every way. And the thing is that um, I don't know anyone, really, who, who, who holds that position. Um, but I think if you're looking at it from an overly simplistic way, which I think a lot of people are, uh, they think when she says same God, that means um, that there's no significant difference, which is kind of ridiculous since she signs a contract every year, which means you sign this week God's statement of faith, which statement of faith is a Trinitarian statement of faith. I think she knows what that means. So 
Um, I th- that's why I think that there's, uh, in my view, a lot of willful misunderstanding and mischaracterizing because mm-hmm. there isn't really the question. Um, but what exactly do we mean when we use the word same here? Um, by same, do we really mean um, that there can be perhaps the same object of worship or same referent of worship, but uh, then how people talk about that, orient themselves toward that, practice their relationship to the same object of worship, um, they do that significantly di- with, with significant differences. I really appreciate the nuance in your answer. Very important. Very important. <laughs> Very important because, you know, it, it, it took me a long time studying theology in a formal seminary setting to start to realize the significance of one single word like same or yeah. uh, even God, what, what, what we mean by that and right. how we orient ourselves uh, to that language. And I, I agree with you. A lot of the analysis, I think, even by pastors, if you will, would be considered, especially in light of your explanation, far too simplistic. Um, but it sort of begs the question of the role of social media. I mean, this played out a lot yeah. on Uh-oh. Facebook, blog posts, things of that nature, and sort of the, the, the effectiveness or the appropriateness of this platform. I mean, yeah. it's kind of unavoidable in this yeah. day and age, but at the same yes. time, yes, yes. That, that, that's what we're using it right now. As a matter of fact. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, but I mean, do you? I mean, how much of a role do you think social media played in kind of distorting this whole episode? Uh, most of it. <laughs> but 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 it's 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 like what happens with uh, any anything that's introduced into the culture, right? Things that are introduced into the culture can have a good side and they can have a horrific side. Uh, You know, great example, aviation. Aviation is marvelous. We can get to places so much faster. But aviation also makes it possible to fly over and drop bombs on people. Hmm. So um, is aviation per se the problem? No, it's, it's what people do with these things that winds up being the problem. And one of the things that social media has done, I mean, going all the way back to, you know, sort of the, this may sound like I'm really dating myself, the America online chat rooms. That's like that. <laughs> 90s, go. baby. That's go. 90s. <laughs> see? See? Right. Yeah, I'm what? trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> oh, okay. Go to a all museum. Right. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so people had screen names. The screen name doesn't tell you who you are, who you really are. You can be anybody, right? Or if you, or if a person had a CompuServe address, how about that for going back? Uh, it was just numbers. Mm. Well, that doesn't tell you who that person is. So I can hide behind a screen name, and I can be as I can just let fly with the uh, worst expressions of my humanity or lack of humanity, and. Um, nobody really knows who I am, except my friends who know what that screen name means. But but in terms of the larger social media world itself, you know, whether it's a blog post or a Facebook post or what have you, um, and going all the way back to that, we, we still see the same thing where, you know, people use the word trolling to talk about that term now, to talk about that action, where people show up and they just, they, they, they show expertise in either condescension and insults. Um, yeah, all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and in some cases, people, people in, in, in this instance, 
they're not hiding behind screen names. I mean, they're they're it's it's whoever they are, but they are. Uh, I mean, they, they don't know personally the person that they're insulting. Right. Um. So, I think for for many people, there are a lot of temptations that happen in situations like this. One of the temptations is for people to just um, be subject to their worst fears and anxieties about things. And there are definitely fears and anxieties about what's going on with Islam in the world right now. Uh, even though most Muslims are not violent, um, there are clearly, you know, trajectories that are. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we don't even talk about Al-Qaeda that much now, right? We talk about ISIS, but right. whether it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda or somebody else, uh, they, we have have those uh, branches, so to speak, where people have versions of Islam that um, make a virtue out of, of violence, whether it's honor killings, whether it's, um, you know, uh, people blowing themselves up, those kinds of things. The the fear around that and a kind of xenophobia around it, because if you because most most Americans don't dress similar, dress in that fashion, etc., uh, the, the the strangeness of it combined with the fear associated with it and the links to terrorism, those things, you know, people are nervous about it, and they and for good reason. Um, and the combination of those types of things uh, combined with probably just the fact that it's easy for human beings, just as as being fallen to easily mischaracterize and objectify those that are some kind of other from us. And the more that you're some kind of other that I don't understand, it's easy for me to uh, make you into something that's less than human. And I think that the way that that intersected into the situation, you know, tempted some or maybe many people to, uh, to, to, to react. And, and there are people I think who are just angry about what's going on with terrorism and stuff. And this was a, an incident for them to, uh, vent about it. And right. so they, they, uh, you know, the social media verbally attacked her. There was a Washington Post article written by the president of the other Wheaton College, the one in Massachusetts that is not like us. And the president was talking about people. People who got the, the two Wheaton colleges confused and, and th some of the harsh communication that they received. Um, and there was, I think, he, he quoted one of them, which said something like, we will stone you, drag you, and rape you, something like that. Oh, my wow. gosh. Uh, and the point is, is that, because that, that went to the wrong institution. So hmm. the point is, is that that's just one. There was a lot of that. I hope that none of the people doing that were Christians. Uh, but, uh, you know, the fall has strange ways of, uh, you know, manifesting in those that are regenerated. So who knows? Um, but, 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 but that's certainly, certainly one dimension of it. And then, then, I mean, more than that, there are people saying things like, of course she should be fired. Uh, which one doesn't seem to pay much attention to the question of tenure, but two, doesn't uh, d didn't raise the question about well in a college that doesn't have a position on that specific issue um, and that is an academic community and not a seminary community not it's neither a seminary nor is it a local church uh, representing a particular denomination uh, when you have a statement of faith at an institution like that 
what kinds of conversations can you have about these types of issues? And can you have this conversation uh, about whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God at a place like Wheaton College that is Trinitarian, etc.? And uh, most of my colleagues, we seem to think so. Right. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that we think that, that everybody that you don't need to agree with Larisha or 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 Timothy George or you know I mean I I invited Miroslav Volf to campus 2011 to talk about his book Allah Christian Response. Uh, he you know, he obviously takes one of the yes and no types of positions. There was zero controversy when Miroslav was on campus, hmm. um, and and there were a lot of tough questions for him. You know, I thought it was an important. It was important to have him on campus because this is what you do in academic communities. You 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 create forums to discuss important concerns and and you engage ways that people address these issues. To invite someone does not mean that you advocate for what they represent. Though many people seem to think that to invite someone always means advocacy, mm-hmm. in which case education is only about indoctrination, actually, and not educating people or helping mm-hmm. people to think critically. Boy, that's a huge point for for Ran and 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 even in some uh, sense for past the mic because a lot of I mean we always call ourselves we're we're not the voice of the reformed African American community we're right. the microphone and that means there will be some people who get on the show and say things that we may not necessarily agree with there'll be some people who write for the website and say things that I as uh, an individual Christian might not agree with, but it's part of that process of educating and exposing people to a diversity of perspectives with the hope and the assumption really that you will think critically about it, but also have a broad enough view of the organization to know that not every single word or statement or opinion that appears on a show or the website is, you know, the official party line, if you will. Right. Right. And right. I think one of the challenges with that is um, sometimes people want to know what should I think, yeah. not how should I think. Yeah. Right. That's good. And, wow. And I think it's important. To, I mean, there, there, there's times when it's fine to say, okay, here's what you should think about this. Uh, but there are other times when before you get to what you should think, you should understand how you should think about it. You know, we don't live in a world where. Uh, everybody agrees with us where everybody answers questions the same way and where people um, and where the only reason that people hold to whatever position they hold, they hold it all because they got there by the same sort of reasoning. And that's just not the case. People have all kinds of ways that they get to strongly held beliefs. And if you're not going to be a critical thinker, then you you are sort of checking out of trying to think through how people can be uh, very committed to certain causes, let's say. Uh, and it may be a cause that one just does not understand at all. And um, if you just disagree with it and think that the fact that you disagree with someone means that, of course, there's no kind of legitimate way that a person could have gotten their position. That's, just, that's not just doing that's not doing justice to to them. In the same way that there are people, I would argue, who don't do justice to Bible-believing Christians because they think that anybody who bases their life on the Bible can't possibly be a thinking person. So um, we we have to be willing to say, even if I disagree with somebody, uh, before I start talking about whether it's legitimate for them to hold a position or, or or how I can't understand why they would hold it, um, we need to ask the question, so 
how did they get there? Um, mm. And a lot of times how people get there is um, not what we think. That's a great point because I was just going to ask you, you know, sort of what are the takeaways in terms of not what to think about this entire situation with Dr. Hawkins, but how to think about it, lessons learned, guiding principles. I think I think what you just mentioned is one, asking the question as we see these things pop up on our newsfeed. Well, how did this person get there? How did they arrive at their conclusion? Right. That, that would be critical and takes a lot yes. more work than I think people are, are uh, thinking about when they're scanning through their timelines. But are right. there other things that, that you would pull from this experience to maybe help us in the future? Yeah. And ramifications, too. Are there is this do you sure. think this changes anything in the scope of, you know, Christian <laughs> colleges and social media, et cetera? Uh, I will answer that question second. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. But I will. I definitely have something to say about that. On well, the first part, I think one of the things that is important to say is that we should actually think about a- acting like Christians when we have conversations with people, virtual or otherwise. By which I mean, if we're really taking Jesus seriously about the second grace commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, then my communication ought to reflect the kind of communication where if I'm saying something to someone or, or or, or I'm stating an opinion about something. Um, I want to be sure that I'm stating this opinion in a way that if someone was make, stating an opinion about me, this is how I would want them to make that statement. And I don't, th- 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 and this is a real challenge in social media because it's so, you know, ephemeral. It, ha- it goes so fast uh, that it's just easy to kind of not have that discernment. But I think cultivating that kind of posture where one pauses a moment before making a comment or tweeting or something. I think that uh, w- w- is, is important. And one of the reasons that's important is because um, I don't think it is helpful to anyone when people um, are using incidents like this not to actually think through something or to ask why somebody arrived at a position, but they're really using it either to start an argument or just to kind of you know, put out there what they think about something. Because the question about uh, Larisha, you know, isn't, okay, hey, everybody, what do you think about this question? That's not what this is about, what everybody else thinks about the question. Hmm. Right? I mean, and the point isn't that people shouldn't talk about it, but if you're going to talk about it and talk about what your position is, please first think about, all right, uh, in this circumstance, what's going on to begin with? A, it's actually not about what she said about the same God or people in the book. It's about her living like a Christian who cares about the suffering of other people. Start there. Ask what's actually going on. Ask that question first. Second, you have questions about the same God thing. It's a fair question. But then ask, okay, what exactly does that mean? Rather than saying, well, I'll tell you what I know it doesn't mean. I'll tell you what it means. There's no way that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. In which case, one then is doing what? Well, they're ba- you're basically saying what your opinion is. You're not asking how somebody has that opinion. So uh, I'm not saying there's no place for people to state their opinions, but if they're going to state their opinions, um, one, recognize that, that you're in conversation with another human being and not with, uh, you know, a non-human object, first of all. And second, that that if you're going to state your view, 
uh, you know, please don't state your views saying what you think Wheaton College ought to be doing because you state that you state that like you're in the administration, which you're not. Right. And if you're not in the administration, I mean, how do you know what it means to determine whether or not a statement that someone makes, and by the way, a statement made in a Facebook post, not in a journal article or something like that, how you how you navigate that in relationship to an institution that has a statement of faith? That's a question that needs to be asked. Say, hey, how does that? I wonder how that works out. Rather than saying, I'll tell you how I think it should work out. Because all it's do all that's doing then is just throwing in opinions in there that that aren't ultimately helpful, because it's not asking. Well, how do Christian institutions think about how you deal with statements that are not explicitly articulated mm. in the statement of faith, and how those kinds of statements are related to this, either things that are in the statement or implications of the statement? That's an important question to consider. And to think about, it. and it's fine to have that conversation, but it's better to try to enter into that conversation with an inquiring mind rather than with the practice of just making assertions. Where, in some ways, I think people are tempted to kind of have a kind of sense of their own self righteousness about their own opinions, and they put it out there. And of course, I'm right. And this, by the way, goes for people that are criticizing Larisha and mm-hmm. people that are criticizing the administration. Right. I always want to say when people criticize the administration, I mean, I have my concerns about that process, but I'll also say this. Um, if you haven't run an educational institution and navigated dealing with multiple constituencies, which is what you do all the time when you're running an institution, if you haven't done that, um, it's really hard to start talking about what you would do if you were in that position. <laughs> right. Yes. Because it is <laughs> I can not, only it, imagine. Yeah. So, so again, does that does that mean don't don't have any critiques, etc.? No, I'm not saying that at all. I mean, but maybe ask, say, okay, how do they navigate all this? How many landmines are there? How do you know when to say something publicly and when to say everything is handled internally? Which, by the way, I think this all should have been handled internally. Okay, but you know, that's not news to I don't think anyone. But um, but but asking those kinds of questions, I think, are important. I think all that forces us to do is what the Bible talks: be quick to listen, <laughs> so to really? slow to speak, <laughs> slow to anger. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, but you're and right. Of course, it, it happens with all kinds of things, right? Yes. I mean, what if this? What if this whole conversation today, right, was about um, whether Presbyterians should give communion to four-year-olds? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which has been had. That's count not on this show, but yes. Right. But, 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 but and some people might think, well, that's kind of an arcane type of thing. He's like, well, there are some people for whom that's a very, very important issue. Right. And before one says, I don't see how anybody could have that position, I think the question should be, I wonder how people arrive at that position. Man, that's a good point. Good. And I feel convicted. <laughs> well, hey, look, I've done it. I, I did it once when I, I was in seminary. I was sitting beside a guy. I, I guess I was just unaware that he was Presbyterian beside me. So, um, and this is before, I mean, I now when, when I teach about baptism, I, I, I want people to understand that that here's why there are people who are credo-baptist, you know, believers in baptism. Here's why they make their arguments and the plausibility here. Here's the different pedo-baptist arguments. Here's the plausibility here. Here's why 
you know, you can't be easily dismissive of either. Um, and, uh, so what I said though, it, it, during dinner one day, it was, I don't see how anybody could hold a Pedro Baptist position and take the Bible seriously. <laughs> what I <said>. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so this, this guy is right to my left, right? Who's a Presbyterian. Oh man. And he just kind of like laughed uncomfortably is what happened. But, mm-hmm. um, but as you might imagine, right? I mean, looking back, I'm thinking, dude, what were you thinking <laughs> saying that? Because, um, it's easy for me to think was my 27 year old self at that time that somehow I completely understand everybody's position on baptism. Right. Uh, uh, well, that's, uh, that, that's just not the competence that I had. Okay. So, um, so I, I was speaking, you know, way out of turn on that when I said that. Um, and I think it, it, it's, it's important on so many different issues for people to, um, to pause, like you said, and then wait. Now, as for the, what is it about Christian education? Uh, so here's what I would say. Uh, I don't think it's clear what it means because mm-hmm. in some ways, I think there are dimensions of the way that this circumstance worked out that may have a kind of an, an anomaly type of character to them because of the history between Larisha and the administration, because Islam was involved around the time when the, the terrorism happened, because right. of the end of the semester, when there's the end of the year giving, and various benchmarks are being met. So you have all these things that are, that are intersecting at the same time that create a certain kind of storm. Um, none of which means, therefore, uh, everything should be done the way it was done. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but, but, uh, it, it, it does make it a kind of unique thing. Um, it does present the opportunity for Christian institutions to raise questions like, um, well, how do we think about our identity as an institution and what that means in terms of how we face outwardly to the public? But also, how do we make sure that in whatever we're doing, if we have faculty and tenured faculty, that we make sure that it's clear to the faculty that we care about them, right. we care for them. Uh, and that we also, when we face outward, that people know about us, we care about our faculty. Um, and I think that was unclear in all of this. I mean, I think if you ask big picture, right, does we in college care about its faculty? Um, I think people would say, well, yeah, of course it does. Um, but the way that this all transpired uh, I think certainly made, you know, raised questions for some people and made some people nervous. Uh, so when those questions happen, um, the fact that a question is raised doesn't mean that only the worst answer is, is the only answer. That's good. Um, and so I think the question has to be what kind of opportunity is here for um, the institution being its best self on a whole number of fronts in terms of being clear about how we think about what it means to, to uh, have implications of a statement of faith and whether or not there are a whole number of unspoken implications that people need to be aware of or whether you don't have to be aware of that. Um, there's the question of if you're a Christian liberal arts institution and not a seminary, um, how do you know the difference between those two things? 
And, and how do you uh, make sure that no, in, in light of the different missions of those types of institutions, that faculty are um, encouraged to operate in the way that they should operate, whether they're a faculty at a seminary or whether they're faculty at a research university or the faculty at a place like Wheaton that's Christian Liberal Arts College, because the missions are not identical. And what you're trying to do in the classroom and the way that you're equipping students isn't completely identical. So how do you do that? So, so it's, it's an opportunity to revisit those kinds of questions. Hmm. Um, obviously, there are questions about how institutions uh, think about all their constituencies and um, how faculty know that they are um, supported when there might be some dimensions of the constituency that get nervous if uh, they don't always hear a certain kind of you know song play. Uh, I, th- I think that question has to be uh, addressed as well. So That's good. Uh, I, I, I say what, what it doesn't mean, as some people have, have said, it doesn't mean that... Um, uh, evangelical Christian higher education is falling apart, uh, and that really <laughs> the sky is not falling. That, that right, and that, that this is really the takeover of uh, you know fundamentalist evangelicals uh, over institutions. Um, there, there are too many things that, that show that's not the case, in my view. But second, um, it also doesn't mean because some people are saying that is this a watershed moment about what's going on with um, the you know the, the direction of evangelicalism. Uh, so, you know, David Gushy is a friend of mine. We have disagreements about certain significant things. But, you know, he wrote a post about, you know, is, is, is this t- showing that there isn't this sort of centrist evangelical place or that, that, or that the center is having a hard time holding and the people are generally migrating either towards, you know, a small number of people to being progressive evangelicals and a larger number of people who are, are uh, more to the right, but also more... They're more about, uh, you know, putting walls up and keeping things out and and securing things rather than being exploratory, et cetera, Um, to which I would say uh, I can understand why why David or why Roger Olson and others have raised questions about whether that is happening. Um, But what I would say is that evangelicalism's always been this mixed bag because you're you're you you have people intersecting around certain commitments to the Bible and how you're thinking about who Jesus is and what salvation is and about, uh, you know, big picture that we ought to be people who are engaged in mission in some way. Um, but, but you've always had all these other tensions to begin with. So um, the fact that there are things that flare up and that at times there are people who might, might use their power uh, to affect institutions, in my view, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, well, we're, we're, we're heading to this kind of new sort of split within evangelicalism. Um, I, I think it just means that it shows why uh, it's always been a very sort of interesting coalition around being committed to the Bible. Uh, because if people really took seriously all the things that they say about their faith and make, all these things that could be fault lines, um, you'd have people splitting all over the place. That's right. Right. Absolutely. Well, like so, us. Uh, so, so I'm, so I'm, so I'm less, uh, I'm less uh, concerned about that than some. And I would also say, I think, as, as a friend of mine mentioned to me recently, one of the things that people should 
recognize in the midst of all this is that all this isn't just about the narrative about progressive and conservative evangelicals, which is largely about a, you know, Eurocentric conversation. Um, it is also hmm. about what it means to be Christians who are committed to living as God's people in God's world. And God's people in God's world aren't all Caucasian. So uh, what does it mean uh, for Christians who are Christians of color and, ha- and what it means for them to inhabit spaces like uh, Wheaton and other places and uh, and how those institutions need to develop, uh, you know, greater cultural competency to understand how people can have uh, the same fidelity they do to Christ, his church and his word. Um, but their mode of expressing it will not be the same. And the people need to, to, to develop a understanding of that rather than just saying, I don't get it. So you probably aren't really committed to things. Right. So I think that piece also has to be part of this. Well, like I said at the top, I was eager for this conversation for precisely these reasons, because I'm walking away and like, man, there's no simple answer. I just there's some no, part of not. me that just wanted me to tell <laughs> just wanted you to tell me what to think and not how to think. But you're challenging us Perfect. on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you so much, Doc. We we thank you for your insider's perspective on this and <laughs> and just for, An insider's perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Certainly more than any of us yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, most yeah, people who are bold enough like to talk years, about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> One man's view from the inside. We'll take that. that. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, you are an insider in the end. So very good. Right. In Christ. Yeah. Jesus Chuke. That's well, right. <laughs> thanks for joining us. And uh, we definitely will have some other very good questions that you'll help us think yeah. through and get yeah. more confused on it. Yeah. Appreciate you, Doc. We want to thank Dr. Vincent Bako for joining us on this episode of Pass the Mic. As always, you can learn more about the Reformed African-American Network by visiting randnetwork.org. You can also follow the network on Twitter at randnetwork as well as the show at underscore Pass the Mic. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Reformed African-Americans. Pass the Mic is a collaborative effort between the Reformed African-American Network and Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com to discover the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for this show has been Bo York. Our guest for this episode was Dr. Vincent Baycote. And on behalf of our co-host, Jamar Tisby, I've been your host, Tyler Burns, and we'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y dot com. This episode was brought to you in part by the Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.